Welcome to On the Record, a guide to English law, the legal podcast brought to you by Glazier Solicitors. Hello and welcome to On the Record, a guide to English law, Glazier Solicitors podcast, looking at all the different areas of law that we focus on. I am very pleased to have Charlotte Hardy with us here today. Hello, Charlotte. How are you? I'm all right. Thanks, Bethany. Thanks for having me. Of course, anytime. We will be looking forward to hearing from Charlotte, not just today, but in a couple of weeks in another podcast, because we're doing something very special with the private client department, doing a series of podcasts on probate. Charlotte, would you like to give us a bit of information on the topics that your team will be looking at? Yes, certainly. So we split it down into certain topics that we think make sense from a, a kind of a chronological point. So we're going to firstly deal with practical steps after death, which is going to what we're going to touch on today. And then we're going to look at inheritance tax considerations, things like when, how much, how you pay it, that type of thing. Then the application for the relevant grant, you know, what type of grant you need and the process for that. Then we'll look at the practical steps that need to be taken once the grant's received. So things like collection of assets, distribution in accordance with the will or intestacy. And then we're going to cover some slightly heavier topics at the end in relation to ongoing administration of trusts and also what happens with regards to inheriting a business. So there's quite a bit to go through there. And I'm I'm really glad that we're doing a series of podcasts because each one of these, there is quite a bit of information. And I I only know the top bit from working with you guys for a couple of years. So this hopefully will give our listeners some great information. Before we look at the topic for today, would you like to share a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm an associate in the private client department. I've been with the firm uh, pretty much forever. On a day-to-day basis, my um, my caseload varies quite drastically. I can deal with wills, I can deal with probate, powers of attorney, trusts, so pretty much a mixed bag. We have heard from another member of your team already, Chris, the head of your department, and he's been talking about how some of those things apply to business owners and things like that. So if that is something that maybe you have questions about, I would suggest listening to some of our previous podcasts. today. We are going to be looking at the legal steps to take when, unfortunately, someone does pass away. So, Charlotte, what are the first things to think about? Okay, so we quite often get people phoning literally days after somebody that they love's passed away. And they ask questions about probate and tax and stuff like that. And what I'd say is don't worry about that. That can wait. Deal with the loss that you're suffering before you start worrying about the legal side of things. There are a couple of things that you do need to be looking at straight away, and that is registering the death, arranging the funeral, and if the person who's passed away had a property that's now going to be empty, you need to look at making sure that that's secure and also insured. But other than that, most things can wait until you've had time to kind of process what you're dealing with. Registering a death, what is that process like? How do you register a death? The death needs to be registered at the register office in the district that the person died at. So you can get more information by contacting the local registry office. Some require an appointment, others have, they'll allow walk-ins. It just depends on the the rules of that register office. So the first step is to contact them and find out what you need to do. They'll also tell you what you need to bring, but it usually includes medical certificate from the doctor and personal information about the deceased. 
Once you've actually attended the registry office, they'll issue a death certificate and um, certificate for burial cremation and you'll need to give that to the funeral director. The death certificate is very important and a lot of people just get one copy, but it's quite important to get more than one if you can, because you'll need to use them in terms of closing bank accounts, stuff like that. So they are used for other things as well as just for funeral side of things. What I would say at the minute is that during the pandemic, a lot of register offices aren't doing face-to-face appointments. So you just need to contact your local ones to find out how their processes have changed at the minute. So I believe there is a service called Tell It Once. Could you give us a bit of information on that? Yeah, Tell It Once is a service that's offered by some local authorities. To be fair, it's most of them now. And it's a way of informing the important government departments that somebody's died. By using the Tell It Once, you notify the DWP, the DVLA, the passport office, etc. So if Tell It Once isn't available, then I think the first point of call that you need to make is to the DWP, because if that person's receiving state benefits, then they need to be stopped sooner rather than later, because otherwise the estate could end up owing a fair bit of money back. The second thing that you mentioned as a thing that needs to be done quite quickly is arranging the funeral. Who can do that? Who can make those arrangements? It's usually for the executors of the estate to arrange a funeral. Executors are appointed in a will. So if there's no will or no executors appointed, then it usually falls to the next of kin to do. Sometimes you'll find a will where professional executors are appointed, for example, solicitors or accountants. But most of the time, the professional executor will be happy to let close friends or family uh, be involved in arranging the funeral because obviously they knew more about what the deceased would have wanted than the professional would. Funerals are, it's a service. So there's payment for that service. Who is responsible for paying for a funeral? Technically, it's the responsibility of the person who signs the funeral director's terms and conditions, but it's usually recoverable from the estate. So even if, you know, spouse or friend signs the T's and C's, the estate would usually cover the cost. But it's quite important to make sure that there's enough money in the estate to do that before the funeral arranged with seven white horses and such it's, it's important to make sure that there is enough money there or that it can be covered elsewhere if you are signing the terms and conditions. Usually a bank will make a payment straight away to a funeral director if there's enough money in the account. It's one of the only post-death payments that a bank will make without seeing a grant of probate or closing an account. Um, so again, just speak to the, the bank that the account was held at for more information about that. And if there are supplementary expenses like catering or having the stone engraved, that type of thing, they can be recovered. They're usually payable by the person who's organising them, but then they can be recovered from the estate, but usually only after the assets have been collected in. So there can be a bit of a delay in getting your money back for doing something like that. So you mentioned the administration of the estate. Who is entitled to act? It depends on whether there's a will or not. If there's a will, there's usually an appointment of executives in there and they will act. If there's no will, then the estate will be dealt with under the rules of intestacy. And it depends on who's entitled to benefit under those rules as to who will have the initial rights to act. We will deal with this aspect in, I think it's episode three of this series, when we look at obtaining a grant. One important thing to note is that if somebody had a power of attorney in lifetime, lifetime attorneys are not the same thing as executors. And if you have an authority under an LPA as an attorney, this comes to an end as soon as someone dies. So you don't have a right to continue using their funds or acting in their estate unless you are also appointed as an executor. Just thought it was important to note that because sometimes people don't know the difference between the two of them. 
Definitely a good thing to remember there. Don't want to get anybody into trouble. You mentioned the will. So how do you find out if a person has a will? Okay, so usually, especially if it's not a sudden death, the the person who's passed will have told somebody that they've had a will and they'll tell them where to find it. So that could be in the house. I think my, my boss, Chris, who you've heard from before, told me that the most interesting place he's ever found one was inside a Hoover bag when Hoovers used to have bags. <laughs> so yes, it can be anywhere, but usually the deceased will have told you where to find one. If they haven't, then check the deceased house. So check if they've got a safe anywhere, check all their paperwork, check the Hoover or safe deposit places if you know that they had a safe deposit bank or somewhere like that. If you can't find one or if you know that the deceased used a certain solicitor for most things, speak to the solicitors quite often. They will have stored it or might have a copy of it if they don't have the original or might know where the original is. If a deceased solicitor does have the will, then they will need certain documents before they can release it. They can't just release it to anybody. If still no luck, check with close friends, family. And then if you're still stuck... There is somewhere called the principal registry, which is where wills can be lodged during lifetime. I don't come across it being used very often, but some people do choose to lodge one at the principal registry. So it's always worth a check. And there are companies available who can assist in searching for wills. Right. So we've got the answer to whether there is a will or not. What are the next steps? It really depends on what assets and liabilities the deceased had. So the first step is probably to contact the financial institutions, so the banks, uh, mortgage company, pension company, etc. They'll provide what's called probate information, and that's the information that you're going to need to know, A, whether you need to apply for a grant or not, and B, to put in the application if you do have to apply for one. They'll also be able to tell you what the procedure is for cashing an asset. Then you need to have a think about liabilities. So even if the person had no credit cards, doesn't mean that there aren't liabilities. There could be care home fees. There could be outstanding money to pay for utilities, gas, electric, that type of thing. And then the usual credit cards, loans, mortgages. You will potentially need to consider whether what are called statutory adverts are required. And that's basically an advert that goes usually in the London Gazette and a local paper. And it tells people that somebody has died. And it's not the same as an obituary where you would say somebody's died and you talk about the life. It's an advert to creditors so that if if somebody was owed money by the person who's died, but you might not necessarily know about it, then that gives them a notification and it protects you as executor or you as the person dealing with the estate in terms of making sure that you're able to distribute. And then the next thing you need to, once you've got the information about the assets, the liabilities, you need to consider whether a grant is required or not. Is a is the grant, is it? just called the grant or is there a full name the collective term is a grant of representation because there are different types of grants that uh, are involved in this term or that come under this term so yeah you'll most often hear it deemed probate or the grant of probate and that is probably the most common one but it is it is used to cover things that aren't actually called a grant of probate you called it a grant of representation I think a question that many people will have is, do you always need to go through the process of getting that grant? Not necessarily. Um, So it depends on what assets there are and how they're held, i.e. whether deceased held them in their sole name or whether they held them jointly with somebody um, and what the value of those assets is. 
You're usually going to need a grant if there's a property owned in a sole name, and you might still need one if there's a property owned in a joint name. So if there's a property, then you should really take advice as to whether a grant is needed in the certain circumstances. If you speak to a solicitor, they'll be able to talk you through. They'll be able to ask the right questions to know whether you're likely to need one or not. If there's no property, but there are high value shares or cash assets, then you would probably need one. What I would say is that different banks have different criteria for being able to close an account without a grant. So it will depend on who the deceased held the assets with. And as I say, when you speak to them about finding out what the deceased held with them, then they should give you some information about their specific procedure at that time. There are other times where slightly more unusual circumstances where a grant might be needed. Executors have more rights. So if there is a will and an executor is appointed, they will have more rights and be able to do more things without a grant. If there was no will or if there was a will, but the executors that were named in there can't act for whatever reason, they've died or they're just unwilling to act, then the person who will deal with the estate is called the administrator and they don't actually have any rights until a grant is issued. They would need a grant to do something like pursue litigation on behalf of the estate or something like that. So again, it's something that if you speak to a solicitor, tell them the individual circumstances, they'll be able to give you some advice as to whether it's needed or not. From all the things you've said, it sounds like the process itself has a system that it goes through, but each person's situation and depending on their circumstances is unique so I think the thing that I would take away is the importance of of speaking to somebody getting some advice so thank you for your time today before we finish things off one last question I know you've given us a lot of information and a lot of things to think about are there any tips are there any little things that maybe people should think of whether they're going through this process themselves or whether they're trying to put things in place to make it easier for their loved ones? I think in terms of people looking to the future for making sure things are as simple as possible for the people they're leaving behind, I'd probably go back to tell somebody where your will is. (laughs) Everything becomes clearer once you know where it is. Or make a will. That's probably the first start. Make a will and then tell somebody where it is. And I think for people who are dealing with this, I'd just reiterate what I said at the beginning, which is don't put too much pressure on yourself straight away. Let yourself grieve. Let yourself get through that. Do what absolutely has to be done. Take some breathing room and then deal with the legalities after that. Well, it has been a pleasure talking to you, Charlotte. Thank you so much for your time. And like you said at the beginning, this is a series. So there are five more to come and we will be speaking to you soon. So thank you, Charlotte. Thanks, Bethany.